Y'all didn't know it, but you got a snow cone for a pastor. I'm up here melting. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, uh, you guys sound so good today. You sound fantastic today. Um, today is a great day for all kinds of reasons. I'm just, I'm happy to see every single one of you. It is a true blessing. Today is also a great day because we're, we're celebrating baptism which is a huge big deal in the life of a church, and the life of a believer. So that will be at 4 p.m. today down at Billy and Kelly's place. Now, I've said before, it's not the easiest place to get to. Generally, it's a place you go on purpose, or unless you've made a really big series of accidental turns. But once you get there, it's, it's paradise. So Billy has some directions for you. Billy, wave. Everyone knows the best-looking man on the street corner over here at uh, the Lord's Corner. The Lord's Corner, I meant the Lord's Corner. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's got a, uh, I swear I didn't mean it, anything like that. You guys got to forgive me. It's called grace, you mercy, okay? So uh, Billy has got directions here. Um, you will need something, um, not necessarily a four-wheel drive, but something that sits up off the ground. And if you need a ride and don't have that kind of a vehicle, grab somebody, okay? There's a place to park, right, Billy? And there will be signs. Remember, i got to get you some signs before you go. So uh, today is an exciting day. We really get to, to do some fun stuff today um, in the Word of God. I feel like I'm getting back to some of my roots, my old school roots. In the, the church I grew up in, they would every year have what they called Youth Sunday, okay? Youth Sunday. I, I, some faces in this crowd were part of Youth Sunday at that same church. And what does Youth Sunday mean? It means the youth are slide, slid, or volunteer, voluntold into all of the things that grown-ups normally did. So, you know, in that, that old school environment, we had like ushers and, and all of that. So youth would become an usher or uh, youth would give the announcements, and youth would teach the Sunday school classes, including the adult Sunday school classes. Somehow, for reasons that have not been explained to me, they grabbed teenage me to teach an adult Sunday school class, which I guess it's Youth Sunday, so they probably weren't expected too much, you know. Uh, but they, they put me in the, the sanctuary class. Anybody else have some roots in like an old school church where there was like a sanctuary class, adult class? Yeah. They slid me in there. Look, y'all. Y'all know me as the preacher guy. I was not the preacher guy. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know anything. I'd read the Bible. I knew some things about the Bible and prayed. But I was not at all prepared. And I didn't bother to prepare very much, I'm sorry to say. So I just got up there with the Bible and open it to Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of my favorite passages. When I was a new believer, I found the place where there are the most read letters in the Bible. You know, the Jesus words, and I just read that again and again. <clears throat> so, uh, hey, I figured if I was going to live for Jesus, might as well find out what he said. You know, makes a lot of sense. So I just kept reading that again, and I opened that up and just talked about it. And then after the, sur after the Sunday school's over, some of the old timers cornered me. Say, hey there, Michael, when are you going to start preaching? And you know, and I very politely ran for my life. <laughs> and uh, 
what do you, what do you say to a question like that? So I ran for my life, and um, but a lot happened in that next year. I could run from people, I could outrun people, but I couldn't outrun God. And during that next year, the Lord dealt with me, and I came to terms with, okay, I'm supposed to be doing ministry. I didn't know what that meant. I certainly did not think I would end up, you know, beside Pizza Hut in Hillsville. That was never on my radar at all. But what a great location, huh? We didn't pick it because it's next to Pizza Hut, but, you know, ain't God good. It's down the road from Taco Bell with inside of Burger King and Hardee's. And if you want something, yeah, if we had KFC in the middle of town, or maybe maybe Chick-fil-A even better, but uh, that wouldn't help us on Sunday, would it? Um, so yeah, a lot happened in that next year, and I, I surrendered to the Lord to preach. So when they had Youth Sunday next year, somebody had the bright idea, hey, let's get this preacher boy up here. Let's see what he can do. Uh, let me just say, you say, well, how did it go, Michael? Well, it 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 went. I gave them their money's worth that day, so to speak. Okay, this was a church. You got to understand, this is a church environment where normally, if the preacher doesn't have the eleven o'clock service wrapped up by twelve noon, he's gonna hear about it. Well, I did not get that memo, and we got out at about one fifteen. So, I hope it won't break your heart that if I let you out a little sooner than that. This is like a short message for me today, so probably like one, five after one. Y'all good? Y'all good? No, 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 no. <laughs> Thanks, Billy. There's always that one guy. It's like the preacher says, y'all mind if I go a little longer? And everybody else is like, mm-mm. And there's the one guy said, just take all the time you want, preacher. No, I get it. The mind can only absorb what the backside can withstand. That's why we have the most comfortable church seating in town. So I can preach longer. No, no, no. Seriously, though, we're starting a deep dive in the gospel of Mark today. And the reason it makes me feel like I'm getting back to my roots is because it's kind of that, hey, just going through verses, just straight up Bible, just going right into the Bible. If, uh, you know, starting with this today, you, you don't have to know a ton about the Bible to get it out of the get something out of the book of Mark but even if you know a lot about the Bible, I think you're really going to get some good things out of this too. Lots of people have the idea that the Bible is really is hard, is difficult, or, or even boring. Well, I'll be honest. If you open up to certain places when you don't really have a lot of background in it, it is going to look weird. I mean, you'll open up to the book of Leviticus and they're like, Why, what's up with all these weird regulations? Or the book of Numbers where they're just counting people forever. Or, or even the book of Matthew where it's like this big, long genealogy. And they're like, okay, Lord, I, I want to know about you, but I don't know what to do with all of this. The book of Mark kind of blows that out of the water because it's just all of these action-packed, quick stories, one right after another. The Gospel of Mark... It's kind of like um, like chicken nuggets, like the good kind from like Chick-fil-A, all right, where it's like the same chicken as in the sandwich, good. Now, if every other place would get on board with that, that'd be awesome. But put the good chicken in the chicken nuggets. What, what part of the chicken is a nugget? I don't know, and you don't know either. It's mystery. It's the mystery. But you kind of know, hey, these chicken nuggets are like actual chicken breast. It's good. Great chicken nuggets. The Lord's 
chicken nuggets with that good Chick-fil-A sauce. The thing is, it's the same. It's the same chicken. It just you don't have the bread. You don't have the lettuce that's in the way. You get the good stuff without having all these things that you got to wade through. I'm more of a meat and potatoes guy. So the bread is the purpose of the bread in a sandwich is only so you don't get your hands too messy. But you know, you can get a chicken nugget and your hands only get a little bit messy anyway. So you're great with that. So um, that's kind of the way the book of Mark is. You get all these nuggets. It's all the good stuff. And okay, if you were eating, you would probably eat like one chicken sandwich. And you'd be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to stop there because you had waffle fries too. But with chicken nuggets, you'll eat like 10 chicken nuggets and be like, why didn't I get a 20-piece chicken nugget? But it's lots, you know, you can eat, you can take in more. Um, the book of Mark's kind of like that. You just get one bite-sized story after another, so it's fascinating. You can take a lot in. It's a quick read. It's the shortest of the Gospels. Um, maybe to put it another way, if you're not a chicken nugget person, if someone on a Saturday night says, hey, you want to sit down and watch a four-hour movie with me? You'd be like, mm, no, no, thank you. Thank you, but no. But if they said, hey, let's watch a few episodes of this Netflix series, and four episodes later, you're there the same amount of time that you would have been watching a four-hour movie, but it didn't feel so long because it's like it's quick, it's episodic, it's, it's nuggets, it's chicken nuggets. So that's, that's where we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, these bite-sized nuggets of gospel goodness. The, the first few... The first few stories are about the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. I kind of call it the quick start guide to saving the world because this is Jesus getting started into saving, you know, his jumping into his role as Savior. We won't see him doing any preaching or anything just yet. He's just getting started. So we're going to go in Mark chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. If you just click over one more slide, Janiah. Hey, big thanks to Janiah this morning who's jumping in and working our computer. She's an awesome young lady, loves the Lord. Talk to her sometime if you want to be encouraged. She's just an awesome young lady. So I'm going to read a little bit and I'll pray for us. It goes like this. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Heavenly Father, will you please speak to us in this moment? Will you help us get to know more about who Jesus is, what he stands for, and what it means to follow him in Jesus' name? Amen. So these quotes here are from the Old Testament. Verse 2 is a quote of Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Verse 3 is a quote of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And it's talking about someone being sent ahead to, to prepare the way for someone else. It's a prophecy from hundreds of years before this. And, and this, Mark is saying right up, say, hey, this is something that was expected. They just didn't know when. That someone was going to come as an announcer for Jesus. And that someone we know in the very next verse is John. John. And he's most often known as John the Baptist. That is not because he was like in the Baptist denomination. That didn't exist at the time. They called him John the Baptist because he baptized people very famously. We could call him John the Baptizer 
and it would be equal. So if this book's about Jesus, why start with John? Let me put it like this. In ancient times, when a king or a powerful person was visiting a town or a territory, he would send someone ahead of him, maybe a delegation or a herald, someone to blow a trumpet or someone who an envoy might be a good word for it, an ambassador to let the people know that the king was coming and they need to be prepared. They would also make sure the roads were in good condition for the king to pass. So John was for Jesus, that person who went ahead, the announcer, the envoy, the, um, the ambassador, the forerunner or the herald. He was, to put it in more today's language, he was the hype man for Jesus. All right. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those concerts where like the one somebody is coming out and they're like, hey, man, this next act we have coming out. He's so amazing. I need like a hype man. I bet Matt would make a good hype man. I'm going to get you up, be my hype man, but don't don't get their expectations too high. I think he would build them up too high. But John was like the hype man for Jesus. Like this next guy coming is so amazing. So amazing. Now, John himself is an interesting guy. He's one of my absolute favorite Bible characters. And you got to hear you got to hear about this guy. So let's read a few more verses, verses four through eight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out and were all baptized by him into the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey, and he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose. Indeed, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Love this guy, John the Baptist. Not the same as the other famous John, the one who was one of the 12 disciples, the one who wrote the Gospel of John. You see a couple books later. This is a completely separate John. There's a common name. Just, you know, there's a lot of Johns in the world today. This John was a distant cousin of Jesus. Because Galilee was about like Carroll County. And everybody's related. That's why I married a girl from New Jersey. Because I felt pretty confident she couldn't be my cousin. Not that you can't marry your cousin. You just can't keep doing that generation after generation. You just can't keep doing that forever. So I put a little chlorine in the gene, gene pool and uh, married a girl from Jersey. The sweet part of Jersey. The nice part of Jersey. Not the part of Jersey you're thinking of, the other part of the uh, South Jersey. South, it says, it's the, I would say it's the redneck part of Jersey. Nah. It's, the, it's as redneck as it gets in New Jersey. So anyway, he's from Galilee, which is the, as redneck as it got in Israel, okay? John was, whew, if you met John, remember those old Geico commercials? So easy, uh caveman could do it well that was john i feel kinship with john because when somebody did our ancestry we apparently have twice the normal amount of neanderthal that most people have in our dna don't be jealous of my big head all right sorry sorry you didn't win the neanderthal genetic lottery so yeah that explains a lot 
explains a lot, explains a lot of family history, doesn't it, Dad? You know, okay, don't blame me. It's my Neanderthal DNA coming out. John straight up looked like a caveman, though. He was dressed in a tunic. We don't get a lot of depth of explanation. It was a camel hair garment. These days, you can go on Amazon and buy a camel hair suit. I can't imagine why you would want to, but you can. And it looks all right. But in those days, it would have been very roughly woven camel hair tunic and he's got a like a big leather strap for a belt and um there actually are some place i think it's in the book of luke where it mentioned that uh that john was under a vow very likely to be the nazarite vow which among other things meant you didn't cut your hair like at all if you were a nazarite for life you didn't cut your hair at all ever so here is this guy with this long hair how do you keep your hair looking fresh and clean when you live in the wilderness and sleep on the ground? He it probably would not, even though he was in the water a lot. We know he's in the river a lot. I don't know how he could keep his hair straightened out when it was that long. Um, if John ever invited you to lunch after church service, you'd need to ask some questions. Where are we going, John? Are we going to your house, John? Because John didn't go shopping, and he didn't go farming. He went foraging, and the Scriptures tell us the most common things that he ate were honey. Hey, that honey sounds pretty good. Except he was having to go fight some wild bees for it. So tough guy. Maybe the long hair, like, helped him. I don't know. Maybe he wrapped it around himself. I have no idea. But I imagine this guy robbing a wild bee's nest. Honey sounds good. It's the other part, the locust part. Now, these weren't the 17-year cicadas we have that uh, we call locusts. These were like really giant grasshoppers. That's, that's what these locusts were. Can you imagine John, this caveman-looking dude, sitting on a ca- at a campfire uh, with a bunch of grasshoppers threaded on a stick, toasting them over the fire? I think he'd fit in with the Shockleys just fine, frankly. That sounds like a Neanderthal thing to do. Just right there. And you could glaze it with a little honey. Suddenly, honey-glazed locust sounds a little better. All right? I mean, people eat like chocolate-covered ants, right? So honey-glazed locusts sounds better than just normal locusts. As a matter of fact, put all the honey you can on those locusts. So that's what he would eat. Uh, he, it wasn't the beach body diet. It was the wilderness body diet. I'm sure it did him really good so this is not the guy that a a typical visiting dignitary would choose as his envoy you know if i was going to send someone ahead of me i would maybe send somebody clean cut or at least like big and scary to to like pave the way but john jesus chose him as his forerunner it ought to tell us that Jesus was about something very different than expectations. He chose a hairy, sticky, bug-eating, outdoor-sleeping, caveman-looking wild child, looking like a Shockley out there, to be his forerunner. If John the Baptist walks into a church service this morning, he'd get a few looks. He'd get some, I mean, I hope he brings some honey-glazed locusts to share. That would probably help. I hope he's toasting these things. Yeah, I mean, he he was in high contrast 
to the religious elite of his day. The religious people of that day put a huge emphasis on outward appearance, dressing just right, looking just right. They would be very meticulous about um, Sabbath things. You know, you could only walk so many steps on a Sabbath day. You had to do all these ritual washings. You had to trim your beard just right, your hair just right. It was a lot of very specific outward things. John, meanwhile, looks a mess on the outside, and yet his heart is much closer to God than the people who looked like they've got it together. I wish I could say it was so different today. I'm not sure that it is. You know, there can be a lot of pressure to look a certain way and act a certain way, especially in religious circles and in churches. You know, we one of the reasons that we just we just wear normal stuff is because we think God looks on the heart, not on the outside appearance. You know, uh, it's easy to put so much emphasis on the outside appearance and not deal with the junk in our hearts. God cares much more about the the junk in the dark corners of your heart that you haven't visited in a while, the stuff that's there and maybe you don't even know it's there. And that's a fact for a lot of us. There's issues that we have. We, we don't even recognize them yet until, until God shows us. It's like I've said before, you think your kitchen is clean, then you move the refrigerator out and you're like, what is this? Did that used to be Cheerios? Why is it walking around now? I swear we sweep. What is this? I don't care how clean your house is. Until you look behind the refrigerator, it, you know, there's something going on. Behind the refrigerator of your heart, there's probably some stuff you don't know about. And God wants to deal with that. So John was like the opposite of what they expected. He's the guy who's cleaning out behind everybody's heart refrigerator. But he looks he looks a mess on the outside, but on the inside, you know, it's it's really something. In those days, the the Jewish tradition from the Old Testament required a lot of ritual washings. They would wash their hands in a specific way and a lot, and it probably helped them when it came to health. But John wants them to see that all these outward washings have limited value and there's one washing that needs to take place and they needed to wash their hearts i bet you've met some religious people through the years who looked right on the outside but the the way they treated others kind of showed that there was some things in their heart that needed to be worked on that needed to be changed that needed to be dealt with um Kind of like a guy, say a, say a guy washes and waxes his car every day, but if you look under the hood, the, the engine's not even there. You know, what's the point of that? In contrast to the repeated washings, outward washings taught by the religious elite, John urged people to a single washing. It was symbolized by baptism. He said, come and be baptized, not because water washed away sins. If it did, we'd kill all the fish but because it's a symbol of inward repentance turning from sin. So thousands of people came to the wilderness between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea to hear John preach and to make a profession of baptism. He was, uh, 
obviously an interesting guy. His appearance was interesting. His message was compelling. But it was also the first new revelation from God in 400 years. The Old Testament ended with Malachi, who's quoted here. And then it's like 400 plus years before you hear from heaven. Heaven is silent, comparatively speaking. And here comes John with this message that the Messiah is coming. People were eager to hear about the Messiah because the Lord had been preparing hearts and they were getting ready. They were looking for the Messiah. And there had been some people who rose up and claimed to be the Messiah, but very quickly it was seen that they weren't. Some people thought John must be the Messiah because he's coming with this powerful message. But he was very careful to say, no, 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 I'm not him. I am the announcer. I am the forerunner. Someone is coming after me who is so much greater than me that I'm not worthy to help him untie his shoe, which was something that was done by a very lowly servant in that culture because feet were considered extra, extra gross. And some of you say, nothing has changed. I don't want to mess with anybody's feet. I get that. I don't, I don't want to mess with anybody's feet either. So who is this person who would follow John whose arrival was John announcing? We see that in verse 9. Verse 9 said, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately, that's a word you'll see a lot in the book of Mark, it's really fast-paced. Immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So the Savior that John was announcing is... Jesus. It's Jesus. Yeah. Mark doesn't give us a lot of background info on Jesus, except that he came from Nazareth. Nazareth is a pretty big city now, but back in those days, Nazareth, Nazareth was really, really small. Uh, Taco Bell is like two doors down from us. There'll be more people go through the Taco Bell drive through today than lived in all of Nazareth in Jesus's day. It just was a really small place, maybe a few hundred people. And, um, it was just show, goes to show you that it doesn't matter where you come from so much as you know what you're doing for the Lord, where you're going. Mark doesn't talk a lot about Jesus' birth or his background because it would not have been that important to the people who were first receiving this gospel. It's pretty generally understood that Mark first distributed this book among the Roman people. He lived and worked in Rome for a huge chunk of his life. He would have been a pastor in the city of Rome for a huge chunk of his life. So these were the Roman people who were receiving the The, the Roman people were very action-oriented. Very, you know, they wanted to know what you were doing. The Greeks wanted to talk and talk and talk and talk. And we're going to see that in Luke's Gospel, which was written for a Greek understanding, because there's tons of talking. But Mark is writing for the Romans, and it's action, action, action. The Romans didn't care so much what you were saying or what you did yesterday. They wanted to know, what are you doing today? What are you doing tomorrow? They um, were, in, in Roman culture, believe it or not, people could rise from obscurity to greatness. There were people who rose out of slavery to become very great, powerful people. Um, even possibly one emperor, one Roman emperor, Diocletian, might have been born a slave. He was certainly, his father was certainly a slave. So this is very action-oriented, this whole gospel. It doesn't, the background doesn't matter so much. It's what's happening right now. The first action we see on Jesus' part, he ain't performing a miracle. Well, why don't we get into the good stuff? Because there's one thing that's got to come first. 
He's being baptized. That's what we see from Jesus. Now, if there's ever anybody who didn't need to be baptized, it was Jesus. John's baptism was for repentance. What did Jesus have to repent of? Nothing. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. So why was he baptized? A couple of good reasons. For one, to set an example of obedience. It's true that he didn't need to repent, but all of his followers would. And that's us. So when we when we follow Jesus' example in baptism, it is it is a proclamation that we have repented, that we are seeking this new life in Jesus. He was demonstrating his submission to God, his obedience to God, that even though Jesus was one and the same with the Lord, he was obedient and submitted. When we practice water baptism, we're declaring our own submission to God. So Jesus walked down into the Jordan River, and John dipped him in, dipped him back out. Immersion, that's how we practice baptism here. Everyone always wants to ask, how long do you hold them under? Do you hold them under until they really repent? And you know what? I'll just tell you like this. The repentance thing will need to have happened before the water thing. It's just a symbol of what has happened. It's, it's a powerful symbol. And this baptism of Jesus was kind of a symbol or a foreshadowing of something that was happening before. I, I love foreshadowings in stories. I love it, love it, love it. I do some writing and I love to put in some little stuff that foreshadows other stuff. I love that in movies. I love it in The Empire Strikes Back when Luke walks into the cave and he sees like the vision of Darth Vader and then he sees his own face in the Darth Vader helmet. And later you find out, if this is a spoiler for you, you're 42 years late in watching this movie that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's, Skywalker's father. Anyone shocked or surprised? You're behind. Yeah, I know, Nick, you don't know Star Wars, right? Okay, sure. He knows a lot more about Star Wars than I do. Um, wow. So, yeah, it's a foreshadowing. Well, what could the baptism of Jesus be foreshadowing as far as a future event? He was put under and brought out. Is there some future event in the life of Jesus where he was put under and brought out, where he was put out of sight and then brought into a glorious position? The death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus is foreshadowed here in his baptism. And when we have a baptism today, part of the symbolism of the immersion in the water is we are identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You know, we're not, we're not like Jesus in the, the sense that by our own power and righteousness we've overcome death, but no, we are saying we identify with him. And the old person we used to be is buried. And we're raised to a new life. That's, that's the power there. It is the, the message of baptism. So after Jesus was baptized, a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Uh, right before that, you saw something like a dove float down from heaven. That was a symbol of the Holy Spirit that was on Jesus. And uh, the voice that was heard was not for Jesus' benefit because he understood his identity. He knew who he was. It, it wasn't a discovery for him. It, this voice, this message was for the other people who were listening to know that Jesus was not just another messenger, not just another prophet, not even just someone like John who was a remarkable individual. 
He had a relationship to God that was greater. He was, he was more than a messenger or prophet. He was more than a teacher or philosopher. He was and is the Son of God. I know that's not a small claim. If you grew up around church, you've been around church your whole life. Someone said Jesus is the Son of God. You're like, yeah, okay, so pass the fried chicken. You know, it's just normal. It's every day. But you've got to understand that if that is not where you're coming from, that's a humongous claim. And as the world grows in population and people with much different backgrounds, you're going to encounter a lot of people who you say Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They're like, ah, well, really? And they're not... And you might say, well, gosh, that's disrespectful. No, that's just where they're at right now. Because, you know, we all start somewhere. So we have to understand. There's going to be a lot of people who don't believe what we believe. And we just, you know, we want to be a part of that journey of them discovering who Jesus is so they can make their mind up about him. We've got to keep all that in mind. So the, the good news is here, although it is a big claim that Jesus is the Son of God, Mark's going to tell us lots of little bite-sized gospel nugget stories that will show us that there's something to this claim not only is jesus the son of god but through him we can be adopted into the family of god too pretty amazing stuff so i do want to leave you with a with a thought um a lot of folks would say that jesus yes yes jesus is a good moral teacher but this whole thing about him becoming the son of god uh, being the son of god well mm, that's a sticky point see most world religions will give some kind of kudos to Jesus. Say, yes, Jesus was great. Jesus was a prophet. He was something, something. It's this thing when we say Jesus is, you know, the Son of God, God in human flesh. That's like the, that's like the point where like people are going to say, mm, I don't know about that. They say, okay, maybe he's someone like, like Buddha or Krishna or Muhammad or, or somebody who founded a religion. Or maybe he's some sort of social innovator like Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. Definitely a good man, but... Was he really God? I don't know. Well, here's the thing. Just ponder this. I like philosophical stuff. If I was back in the day, I probably would have hung out with Socrates, who was another guy who probably looked like John the Baptist because Socrates was famously unwashed. All right. Before I get to that, though, whenever we hear sirens come by, we stop and we pray for our community. So we're going to do that right now. Heavenly Father, we want to pray for this situation that is going on. We hear these sirens go by. We pray for the folks who are being helped, and we pray for the first responders for your protection over them. God, we, we, we pray things will turn out okay in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's kind of get to it. If you look closely at the claims of Jesus, you'll realize that you know he, he's very clearly claiming to be divine. How can he be a good man and yet simultaneously make a claim to be divine if it's not true. These things could not go together. If you met someone on the street who claimed to be God, what would you think? You'd probably think, he, he, this guy, he's a few fries short of a Happy Meal. He's a few tacos short of one of, one of them value boxes at Taco Bell. Is he okay? Do we need to do something for this guy? You would think that he was disturbed in some way. Or you would say, he's a liar. He's a manipulator. You probably would not start with the idea, wow, this guy's really cool. He's a good man. That would not be your, your go-to, most likely. If someone claims to be God, there's really only three possibilities here. 
First, he could he could be delusional, and I've I've actually met some guys and heartbreaking, heartbreaking. It was it was really an unhealthy place that they were at, and you know try to do what you can for them. That's one possibility. If someone claims to be God, there's another possibility that they're knowingly telling a lie. I mean, I think of some of like the cult leader type people, you know, who would claim to be divine as a way to manipulate others. But if you have someone who is clearly mentally disturbed, you wouldn't say, okay, that's a good man. No, you'd say that's a man who needs some help. If you met someone who was deceptively claiming to be God, you wouldn't say that's a good man. You know, you'd say that guy's a monster. But then there's the third possibility that he's telling the truth. And it's true. So let's consider, if you read these stories about Jesus, he doesn't give the impression of someone who is delusional. As a matter of fact, he has this incredible wisdom and insight. And people are just amazed. I mean, is it really hard for you to spot someone who is who's really not in a good place mentally? I mean, if you meet someone who's mentally disturbed, it's not that hard to figure it out. But people, that's not what they saw in Jesus. They saw a guy who was, who got it, who understood. He was full of wisdom and insight. As far as being a liar, his enemies desperately wanted to catch him in a lie, but he never could do it. So it's pretty obvious he wasn't crazy and he wasn't a liar. So there's that other thing, that it's true. That he really is who he claimed to be and who the Gospels present him to be. And if that is the case, then we have got a choice to make. We can either talk ourselves out of the evidence of Mark and of others, or we can trust him. It makes sense to trust him based on the evidence. It makes sense to live for him, to embrace him. And you know, baptism today is a symbol that someone has embraced him. So I'm leaving you with that thought. You think that through. What's this, what do we do with this Jesus? We're going to learn more and more about him as, as this series goes on. But we have to do something with him because he's, he can't just be a good man. He's got to be something more than that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. I'm excited to get more into this word. And I, I pray that you'll open our eyes to it. Lord, I do pray also... Uh, that you would bless our baptism today, that that uh, folks would be ready. And if there's anyone else who needs to be a part of that today, I pray that you'll you'll raise them up right quick. Lord, we give you the glory, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you, Janai, you can just push that next one over, and it, there it is. Hope you have a great week. Hope we see a lot of you guys at baptism again. If you need directions, see Billy over here. If you need a ride, catch somebody who has a four-wheel drive, and we'll do what we can. See you later.